And uh, in here, we are going to continue to talk about that great first Advent, that great first Christmas, although probably in not as fun of a way. (laughs) Great job. We're going to continue in our series. If you've been with us in December, and we hope that you have, we get the most out of God's Word as we gather weekly, and we study God's Word weekly together, and we've been in a series of messages that we're calling God With Us. And uh, this morning, we're going to do something a little different. You can probably tell here by uh, the chairs behind me. You'll see what we're up to here in just a moment. But here's where I want to begin, is where we've began really most every Sunday in recent weeks, is this verse on the screen, Matthew 1, verse 23. The prophet Isaiah foretelling the coming rescuer, the coming Savior. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel Church Family, which means God with us. There's our series title, God with us. We've spent December really getting to to sink our teeth into this idea that our great God came to be with us, that our great God became a human man, took on flesh, fully God and fully human. God himself, the son of God, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, became a man to dwell with us and to show us God and to to be our rescuer. And so we've spent the, the, the month talking about some serious things, that Jesus is fully God, that he is divine, that he is deity, and at the same time that through the virgin birth he became a true human being, and we've been talking about that. And, and, and so then maybe it sounds a little you know, rough or crude to ask, but perhaps we still wonder when we think about God incarnate, God taking on the flesh, Jesus coming to be with us, so what? What does that have to do with us? Perhaps we wonder that at Christmas time. We, we know perhaps that we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. We know perhaps that God came to be with us, but so what? What does the incarnation, what does God taking on the flesh mean to me or to you and I or to us today? And that's what we're gonna think about a little bit more today because on, on, in Luke 2.11, we read this, for unto you, is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. The the first answer to so what, we've talked about a little bit already. It's up on the screen. For unto us is born a savior, and a savior implies that we need rescue, that we're in, in a bad way, that we are separated from God, that our sin and our rebellion against God creates enmity between us and a holy and perfect God. We need rescue, and so unto us, at Christmas, Mary, Christmas, church, family, unto us a child is born, a rescuer. We need, we need a savior because we need rescue. And so last week we talked about the fact, 1 Timothy 2, 5, that there is one God and there is only one mediator between us and God, the perfect and only mediator between a holy God and sinful us, the man Jesus Christ. So, so as we say, so what, at Christmas time, as we wonder what does God taking on the flesh have to do with us today, we start with the need to receive the rescuer, to receive God's free gift of salvation. I urge you to entrust yourself to Jesus, whether for the first time or again afresh today, needing rescue, needing help, needing care, needing guidance, needing uh, all that, that, that God wants to bring into your life. Entrust yourself to Jesus. Follow him as Lord and master. 
but this morning we're going to take some time to think some more about some more implications for us. The fact that Jesus became a human man, that he lived a life and experienced things that we do, what does that mean to us? How does that, uh, how does that indicate or how does that show us how to live on earth as human beings? Uh, and so we're going to talk about that. The word became flesh. What does that mean to us as followers of Jesus? So I'm going to invite up some of the rest of the uh, ministry team. Uh, Matt, Debbie, and Ed, come on up. Let's welcome them. I, this is what we're doing a little bit differently this morning. Uh, we're doing this for fun as I'm inviting them to join us. And uh, and we're going to take a seat on these chairs, and we're going to take some turns uh, sharing. And I'm hoping these chairs aren't as dangerous as the chairs were for the kids. Uh, a couple of them fell off the chairs. Hopefully no one's videotaping us. Thanks, guys, for coming up to help. Yeah. Love having you up here. Uh, I want you to know how much I love working with these three. Uh, we have Ed, our associate pastor, Debbie, our minister to children and families, and Matt, our worship pastor. And these are people who love Jesus and uh, who work hard. And uh, I am so thankful for how they serve Jesus by serving each of you, uh, and serving in so many ways in our church family. And so um, thought it would be fun this morning to have them up here with me and talking together about uh, what all this means. The fact that Jesus came to be with us. The, the word took on flesh. God sent his son into the world, Ed. God sent his son into the world. What does that uh, demonstrate for us? Yeah. So, so what? So what? The incarnation, Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, one of the answers to so what is as Jesus Christ was in the world, so are you to be in the world. Scripture, John 17, some refer to that passage of Scripture as Jesus Christ's high priestly prayer. He's praying on behalf of the people he's going to leave behind. His departure is at hand. And he tells them, I'm leaving you with my word, but because of your word and how you incorporate it into your life, the world will hate you. But that's when we see in John 17, 18, as the world has, as I have come into the world, so I send you into the world. So how did God send Jesus Christ into the world? If we are to go into the world as Jesus Christ, how did God send Jesus Christ? Well, I think the simple answer in Philippians, where Jesus Christ emptied himself, taking on the form of humanity, becoming a servant in the world, mm -hmm. becoming a servant. We see that he has come not to be served, but to serve. So likewise, we, as Jesus Christ was in the world, we are to be in the world as servants. So what does that look like? Well, it's as multiple as as many people as we have here. It can take all sorts of uh, different appearances, you know, providing meals, bandaging wounds, driving, uh, uh, painting houses, raking leaves for the pastor at 917 Southwest 11th Street. <laughs> um, can you repeat that address one more time? <laughs> uh, here's one we can all share, listening. Uh, some will, re I call it attentive listening, gospel ears. So you know how to provide Jesus Christ. Gospel community groups, and this is the last one. Gospel community groups, because scripture tells us to spur one another 
to love and good deeds. Some of us stumble how I might be in the world as a servant as Jesus Christ. That's why communities get together and be creative in how you can minister as a servant out into our community. Yeah. I love that passage in John 17. I love that you brought us there because in a few weeks, actually, I think we're going to take a deeper dive there. But that same passage in John 17 is the one where some of us as Christians have heard that phrase that we're in the world, but not of the world. Have you heard that? And it's true, right? This is not our true home. We are passing through. We are, as followers of Jesus, we are made for life with God. And yet in that same passage, Jesus says to the Father, don't take them out of the world. I sent them into the world. And so he has, he has purposes for us in that. And I'm so thankful to be part of a church family. Um, Pastor Ed just listed some ways that we are sent into the world, ways that we see each other in our church family serve and love in, uh, and bring God's love to others. And I just see, we see that all, all over the place in Dallas, don't we? I mean, we've got, we've got a church family who is bringing God's hope and love uh, to kids and to uh, uh, folks over at D- Dallas Retirement Village and to uh, giving food through Christmas cheer and uh, taking a God's love to kids at Dallas uh, Mobile Home Village. And this church family has wrapped their arms around my folks who lost their house in the fire. And it's incredible how you are sent into the world and how God is using you. So thankful for that. Um, if we're sent into the world um, as Jesus was, or, or knowing Jesus was in the world and, and lived as a human and understands our situation, um, we want to follow his example, right? Debbie, we want to we want to um, we want to value what God values, and so we look to the life of Jesus to see what we can learn from that. So, because Jesus is Emmanuel, we are not to overvalue physical beauty. Now, I love that Jesus came to Earth, and He could have chosen any form, right? Yet the Bible tells us that He chose to come mm. as someone who had no physical beauty or majesty. Mm. Isaiah fifty-three one said He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him and no beauty that we should desire him, he could have given himself like all the good genes, right? You know what I'm saying? Um, He's God, but he didn't. John 7, 10 through 11 says, he also went up not openly, but in secret. So the Jews began looking for him at the festival saying, where's that man? Hmm. He wasn't one that would catch our eye, one that people would notice. He easily moved in secret. Matthew 26, 48 even says, now his his betrayer was going to give them a sign saying, Whoever it is I kiss, he is the one. Take him into custody. Again, Jesus was not one to stand out in a crowd. Now, this suggests to us that physical appearance was not of the utmost importance to Mm. Jesus. Mm. So jump ahead to 2018. Our culture loves external appearances. Mm. Beginning in earliest childhood, it comes at us from virtually every angle. Television, movies, music, magazines, books, internet. Mm. In nearly perfect unison, They paint a picture for us of what really matters and what matters most, especially for women, but also men. Mm. They insist it's physical beauty. Now, before we go crazy here, nowhere does scripture condemn physical beauty. God made beauty all around us, right? I mean, look Mm. around. We're beautiful people. Mm. I'm not suggesting that we stop working out, going to the gym, eating more greens than grains, or, (laughs) you know, just letting ourselves go. But I do believe that the danger lies in giving excess attention to physical beauty Mm. or tending to physical matters more than or instead of giving attention to matters of the heart. The enemy is peddling a lie and it's an easy one to buy into. We must be on guard. 
The deception that physical beauty is of greater value than beauty of the heart and spirit will leave us all, both men and women, feeling unattractive, ashamed, embarrassed, hopelessly flawed. If it hasn't happened to you yet, just wait, it will. However, I would like to suggest that what's even more dangerous is the way that it skews the way that God created us to see and interact with other people. Mm -hmm. As followers of Jesus, we are called to see the world through Jesus' perspective. We must be willing to overlook outward appearances. Matthew 25 tells us that when we share food, drink, clothes, and time, I said time, with others, with the least of these, we're doing these things in Christ himself. Don't let yourself be limited to what you see on the outside, and don't limit what others see of you to what's on the outside. Changing our outside is work. It's effort. It's sweaty. It's a lot of work, but it's temporary. When Jesus does his work in us, he renews our heart and mind, and he makes us new creations. He does the work. We spend time with him, and he begins to change us from the inside out. I'm not saying I wouldn't like to burn a few extra calories and tighten loose skin through Bible study and prayer or caring for others, but it just isn't the way that Jesus set it up. So it says to me, it's not the priority. As followers of Jesus, we must shake the hold that outward appearance has on us. And we do know, though, that new bodies are coming. And, oh, boy, are we looking forward to those, aren't we? Uh, for those that journey with Jesus and love him and get to know him, when we're finished with these bodies, he's giving us new ones, and they will most likely be amazing. Until then, let's choose to keep our priorities in balance, following Jesus' example, caring for our vessel, but valuing most its contents. Yeah. Man. What a great encouragement for all of us, maybe a prayer request for all of us. You said that Jesus is, is transforming us from the inside out. He's giving us a new heart. And so wouldn't it be great as, as God transforms us as we follow Jesus, that that would include seeing other people the way that God sees people. You mentioned the least of these, the, the, the imprisoned and the poor and the hungry and the orphan and the widow, that the Bible talks often, often about the, the least of these. And I, I pray that God would give us his heart for those. And, and as we look around, Debbie was talking about one thing, uh, Matt, that our culture overemphasizes, external appearance. Oh, yeah. and, and I know you have some thoughts, too, about something else our culture overemphasizes is, is, is wealth and, and the pursuit of money. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so uh, speaking of money, it's really interesting. The second most referenced thing in the Bible is money or finances. And that comes out to just around 2,000 verses in the Bible is dedicated to it. Um, so I'd say that's pretty important. And while Jesus was here, he spoke about money uh, the second most. The only thing he spoke more of was the kingdom of God. He spoke more about money than he did about love, which says something. Um, because sometimes money can be, it can either be a really touchy subject with families or with people or it can be overemphasized and it can be worshiped and praised above our relationship with Christ. Um, and so I just find it really interesting that the Bible and Jesus spent so much time speaking about money. Um, and so I think with that, God gave us a ton of wisdom when it came to how to handle finances, um, but he also warns us about money. Um, and in 1 Timothy 6, he said, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And I think that is because God understands human nature. He's the one who made us. He knows what we're like. Um, he knows we can get obsessive with things. He knows the control that the love of money can bring. 
Um, not to say money is evil whatsoever. It's just a neutral thing in life, but the love of it, that's where bad things start to happen. Um, and so I find it really interesting that when Jesus was sent here to earth, um, he was the richest being and still is the richest being ever to exist. He created everything. So, and he's the one who gives us everything we have. So inherently, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So everything is already his. Um, but it's so cool that God chose to send Jesus into one of the poorest families of Mary and Joseph. And we hear that um, from the second chapter in Luke, and they're bringing Jesus up to Jerusalem um, as is custom with the Jewish law. Um, and they have to make a sacrifice for Mary's, the mother's purification after giving birth, and usually it's a one-year-old lamb. Um, but there is a kind of an asterisk in Leviticus saying if they don't have the money, they can use two doves or two, two pigeons, which means their dirt broke. And this is what Mary and Joseph had to use because they didn't have any money. And, but I mean, Jesus, the son of God is sitting there who could have brought an immeasurable amount of lambs to sacrifice to his father, but he chose to be in the poorest and the lowest of families. Um, and we see this all throughout Jesus's life, uh, that he led a life of poverty but he led a life of being content um, because he knew who he was, he knew his mission, and he knew that his father loved him so much. Um, and so later on in the book of Hebrews 13.5, it tells us to keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so Christ came to earth in part so that we would not have need. Um, and the Bible tells us he is the bread of life. He is the living water. He is our breath. Um, everything that we need to survive, he provides those himself. Um, and he's our savior that we so desperately need. Yeah, I love it. I'm glad you reminded us that, you know, money in and of itself is not evil. Yeah. It's that love of, of money. Jesus talked a lot about money, as you said, and every time Jesus talked about money, it was an indicator of our discipleship and, and how we handle uh, the finances that God's given us, it was an indicator of, of our, our following him and our submitting to him and our trusting him. And, 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 and as we handle our money, and if we can trust God in that area of life, it's an indicator of how, how uh, submitted and committed we are in our relationship with Jesus. And so um, not that money is bad in itself, right? Yep. But the idea of not clinging to it and, and, and not having that dominate our heart. And, uh, and as you said, we see that in, in Jesus' uh, coming in itself. In a, what, 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 we, uh, what Matt's urging us in a practical way not to cling to earthly riches, uh, Jesus, as you said, demonstrated in, in coming here. Uh, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, splendor, majesty, uh, God himself, for, for our sake, he became poor. Uh, and, and not so much in a monetary way, but he, well, that was true too in that family. But, but also, God submitted himself, humbled, became poor, humbled to being a human person, humbled even to death, so that we might become rich, so that we might receive the gift of salvation. That's good news, right? Yeah. Is that good news, friends? We celebrate at Christmas that he who was rich became poor so that we might have life in him. 
So how does that impact how we live? Again, Ed, you got another, I know you have some more thoughts for us about how that impacts how we live, that good news of what Jesus has done. I I just like that phrase, uh, you know, he became poor. I think it was necessary for us to see the incarnation necessitates a a godly response or godly conduct. Jesus Christ becoming poor, taking on the form of humanity. We can observe he was close enough to Mm -hmm. us Uh, you know, in in that uh, status as a poor family. So it should compel us to live godly behavior. First Peter tells us, be holy as he is holy. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, because he came in the flesh, he now is a perfect example. Okay, what is that to look like? What would that mean to me? Now, I like, you know, a, a famous pastor, in fact, it may be Derek Olson. <laughs> he, uh, it may be. I, I can't remember where I heard it, but we are not to be Jesus. We are to be like Jesus. There is only one Jesus Christ. Don't beat yourself up thinking you're mm. going to be that. Mm-hmm. But be stirred to become like Jesus Christ. Mm. Well, How did Jesus live a godly life that we might want to look at and capture so that we can start to live with a greater measure of godly conduct in in response to this incarnation message? Uh, Jesus Christ was fully or wholly devoted to God. Singular purpose. That's what I see the word holy, fully set apart for one purpose. His message was consistent untainted, but us, we tend to live fractured lives, divided lives. Sometimes our conduct uh, reflects a godliness, but oftentimes it reflects an ungodliness. Jesus Christ is not like us. We are divided between the, the works of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. Listen, so what shall we do? Listen to your behavior and confess the truth. Actions, we say, speak louder than words. I agree. We have an example, the apo- uh, not the apostle, the uh, King Saul. We would think a Jew who was commissioned to become the, the king of Israel was told to go to Amalek and destroy them all. And don't take any of the sheep, cows, or any of the possessions. And he goes and he destroys, but he did not fulfill the commission or the uh, word of God. And he takes some of the prized possessions back. And when he's confronted about that conflict in his behavior, what God tells him to do, godly conduct versus his own will, he lies. Mm. He distorts, he twists. He tries to self-justify the reasons rather than just announcing the truth. And that's where God says that your presumption is an iniquity and idolatry. And in other words, your arrogance, your stubbornness, your unwillingness to admit the truth about your ungodly behavior is what I abhor. So... Our conduct reveals the truth about where our affections or devotions lie sometimes. We need to hear what those are saying 
So how might we increase, in light of the incarnation, how might we increase our affections to God so that our conduct come in alignment? One suggestion would be ponder, meditate, entertain, consider, reflect on the incarnation. Allow the implications of the incarnation to seep down into the interior of your life. Uh, allow it to overwhelm you so that it works its way to the thoughts of the heart that can control the conduct. And the second way would be just learn from Jesus what it looks like. Learn from Jesus. Take a look at how he responded to people, how he carried out and portrayed the glory of God in human flesh and let that serve to inspire you. Mm. As, we, as you said, cultivate, as we follow Jesus and cultivate a heart that loves him and is thankful for what he's done, then, then, then the natural byproduct will be, will be prompted to honor him with the way we live, right? Yeah. And um, uh, we, we have, we do, we do need to live for him. We, we do need actions and words that honor him. And, and, and part of following him is being changed into his image. And so we, we have been given this responsibility to be representatives of Jesus. He came to represent God into the world. He represented God to us. And as Ed said earlier, we're sent into the world then to be representatives of God. And so we have this responsibility to convey the good news of Jesus, the love of God to those around us through our words and our actions. And man, Ed, you used the first Peter verse, be holy. God said, be holy as I am holy. The Derek Olson translation of that verse is God saying, be holy as I am holy, unless there's high school basketball referees that need some assistance. <laughs> yeah, I think it's justified then, Derek. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like you said, I live a fractured life of godliness sometimes and some ungodliness that I try to justify. I'm glad you admitted I didn't have to point that out. <laughs> Well, our whole community is going to know if I don't learn to keep my mouth shut. Um, God is for you. Thank you. you. Yes, yes, I know. And, and Debbie's going to bring us some encouragement because I'm so thankful that, yes, we are to be holy as God is holy, but I'm so thankful that we're not alone as we try to do so, that we have a God who is with us. Wow. And, and last week we looked at, at, at Hebrews 4.15 that says we have a high priest, Jesus, who... We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. We have one who has, has been tempted like we are, who has lived like we are, who has experienced what we are experiencing. Uh, and so, Debbie, he understands us. And yes. there's even more that's exciting than that, right? Yes. Um, because Jesus is Emmanuel, it means he's for us. Mm. In Romans 8, it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Mm. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now, this is one of my very favorite things about being a follower of Christ. Now, remember this morning we're speaking to followers of Christ. If we can truly grasp what it means that God is for us, I believe it's absolutely life-changing. Because Jesus is Emmanuel, he knows exactly what it's like to be here in this world, in these bodies, with emotions, with physical and emotional pain, he truly gets us. And get this, after choosing to experience all that being human entails, he continues on as an advocate, a fan, a protector, and a supporter of us. 
When we accept the relationship that Jesus is offering and allow him to pour into us by spending time with him daily, mm -hmm. as we gradually come to realize that the God of the universe is for us on our side, it's absolutely mind-blowing. God loves us so much. You guys, he's choosing to pursue, defend, protect, love, build up, cheer on, provide for, and give us joy with no agenda. Anybody here need to be built up or cheered on or provided for? I know that I do. His word is not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a picture. It's a story of redeeming love. If these words... If God is for you, who can be against you? Become true in our hearts and in our minds, in our daily actions. This is something I think that will change our 2019. We need to change our thinking. We need to adjust our mindset from the idea of doing our best or giving our most or striving not to mess up. To understand that the perfect love of Jesus is not waiting for us to mess up. It's not waiting for us to do more. Because Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He has the power, the control, the credentials mm. to forgive us and make up all that we lack. Now, those who know me know that for some reason, I get almost a little thrill from scaring people. <laughs> well, specifically, my scary of choice is my husband. He just goes along in life doing regular things, and it brings me so much joy to jump out or lie in wait and just to pounce when he least expects it. I can't even imagine that, Debbie. <laughs> The reward for my efforts is usually a loud, shrill, somewhat feminine scream, <laughs> followed by head shaking and why, why? <laughs> so I realize it's childish and it shouldn't please me so, but it does. I can't help it. Uh, but this leads me to share another one of my favorite things about God. He is never, ever surprised. Not one time have I come to him disappointed, shocked, brokenhearted. Have I ever heard from him? Wow, crazy, didn't see that one coming. Oh, bummer, must be rough. Uh, I don't know, give me a minute to process. No, never. Every time I come to him, when I feel hurt, broken, blindsided, sickened, shocked, either by my own doing or someone else's, he immediately and without fail welcomes me, loves me, and says, oh, I'm sorry for you, or I forgive you, and I'm with you. He reminds me, hey, I'm for you. When my world is shaken and I feel like for sure I'm not equipped to make it through what I'm facing, he without fail comforts me and is prepared, giving me just what I need. You guys, Jesus is for us. Whether we realize it or accept it or live like it, that's completely up to us. It's like we have access to the biggest, brightest, best, most effective everything. In 2019, we have no idea the biggest joys or disappointments or successes or heartbreaks that we're going to face. But I can guarantee you can know the one that does. And when you understand, you have access to his restoration, his love, his joy, forgiveness. It will bring a peace to your life that you never knew was possible. Right on. It's good news. We've been talking about this over and over, church family. Jesus is Emmanuel, which means... God with us. And if God is with us, and in this case, what we've seen is that shows us that when God is with us, that shows us that God is for us. And so we have a lot to be thankful for. And uh, we want to we wanna respond in thankfulness to God for what he's done for us. How does, how does that look, man? Yeah. Uh, I think one of the biggest, one of our biggest jobs here on earth is to worship and glorify God. Mm. 
Um, there, there was a quote made about 200 years ago. Uh, it's called the Westminster Short Catechism. And one of the phrases in there says, uh, the purpose of man or the chief end of man is to worship and glorify God and enjoy him forever. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite sayings. Um, but being the worship pastor, sometimes uh, it can get a little confusing that worship is music. Um, yeah, it's just music. Exactly, yeah. it's just music. Yeah. Yeah. And while, yes, music is a part of worship, mm-hmm. um, worship is so much more. Mm-hmm. It really is. All throughout the Bible, there are hundreds of examples of people and nations glorifying and worshiping God. Um, in the Old Testament with the tribes of Israel, um, God specifically set apart uh, the tribe of Levi to be the priests. They're the people who represent the other people, the other tribes uh, to God. So they were set apart. They had different, a few different commandments than the rest of the people in different jobs day to day. And so they're, and they were around for 1400 years. And so the tribe of Levi was very important for the rest of the nation of Israel. So when Christ came, um, things shifted a bit. Um, and so we have this thing called the Old Covenant. And when Christ came and died on the cross, he started the New Covenant, which means these sacrifices that the people of Israel had to make daily, weekly, monthly, yearly was no longer a thing because Christ was our ultimate sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took a long time for the Jewish people to wrap their heads around that because it was their culture. Um, and so it's, there's this one verse in 1 Peter that talks about uh, the nation of Israel, but it also talks about us, the Gentiles. Um, and it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. That's what the Levites were referenced to, a royal priesthood. But now Jesus is calling all of us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Um, and so what that says, there, there's a phrase in there that says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. In other words, so that you may worship him. You don't have to go to the Levites, to the temple anymore to worship me. Like I have died for you. I was your ultimate sacrifice. I live in your heart and your, with the Holy Spirit and you can worship me 24 um, seven. And so it became, so our, our purpose now is to proclaim those excellencies of him, to worship him. Um, and then Hebrew 13, 15 tells us, through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice. There's that word sacrifice again. A praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And we know, uh, we know the truths of the gospel. Uh, it's our act of worship to proclaim these to everyone, to our friends, our family, our neighbors, the people who haven't yet been saved. Um, that's our job. And, uh, but the final verse I want to leave you with is probably my favorite Bible verse is Romans 12, one. And it says, I appeal to you, therefore brothers, by the mercies of God to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And the NIV ends it out. Uh, this is your spiritual act of worship, offering ourselves in our lives because of what Christ has done, because he came here, that is worship. Don't we want to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of the dark and into the light? I want, I want my life to proclaim the excellencies. So thanks for that reminder and encouragement. And we want, to, we want to do that with our whole selves, our whole lives, that Romans verse, that we offer our whole selves uh, as, as worship, as, as, uh, as honor to God, proclaiming the excellencies of, of what he's done. 
because what we're celebrating at Christmas, John 1, 14, that the word became flesh, that God himself, the eternal word of God, the second person of the Trinity, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And because he dwelt among us, we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Merry Christmas, church family. Good news, Jesus came to be with us. The God-man, the rescuer, Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your son. We thank you that you are a God who pursues and rescues. We thank you, God, for your great love to us, demonstrated that you would send your son and that your son would willingly die so that we might live. So we thank you, God, this morning for the cross. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for new life available in Jesus. God, I pray for those here this morning that we would entrust ourselves to you, that we would realize we cannot rescue ourselves, but that we need you. God, I thank you too that you are continuing to save us. Not only do you offer salvation from sin and death, but you are continuing to save us and transform us and make us new from the inside out and to give us new heart and new mind. So God, with some of these things that we talked about this morning, we pray that some of these implications of the incarnation, some of the, some of the, some of the things we learned this morning, we pray that these would be worked out in our lives. As we heard from Ed and Matt and Debbie, um, God, because you sent your son, because you took on flesh, would that shape the way we live as your people in this world? So God, give us, give us what we need. Would your grace continue to abound to us so that we could live for you, so that we could honor you in every way. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.